Does a hologram weigh a gram? What happens if you light ice on fire? All these questions you can find the answer to right here on This Paranormal Life. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. The Comedy Paranormal Podcast, where every week we investigate a brand new paranormal case and come to a conclusion as to whether or not it is true or false. That is true. As with all the great episodes of this podcast, I'm your host for this week, Rory Powers, joined by my accomplice. Very shallow. I'm joined by Kit Greer. Not gonna, no preamble, no professional paranormal investigator, no esteemed, no feel, you know, they know regular that. host. They know fine. that. You know, Whatever. I just want to say that I am the professional. I have, you know, dozens of accolades uh, and I'm joined by Kit. <laughs> well, I'm joined by Kay. Actually. Yeah, that's not my name. I am the bigger person and I will say that we're both professionals. Cool. I was, I, get a medal I, for that, I got huh? my accreditation a little bit before you, but whatever. Yeah, well, no medal for time. Metal for quality, and I've got those bad boys up on my shelf. So I don't, again, I don't want to be petty, because uh, I bet you've got the gold for that one. So I'll just ma- <laughs> I'll just move on with the old uh, podcast here. Today we're tackling a story that I have actually wanted to tackle since we started this podcast. Right. It's a story that is maybe one of the most bizarre paranormal stories I've ever encountered in all of my years on the force. Really? I don't know what else I can really say about it, so I think it's best if we just dive right in here. Sploosh. Our story begins on August 20th in Rio de Janeiro. An 18-year-old man named George de la Costa Alves. I'm going to be butchering a lot of the names and pronunciations of locations. Mm. Uh, Just a little warning there. Uh, He was enjoying a beautiful afternoon outside, flying his kite on Vintem Hill. Interesting. You know, what is this? 1966. What does an 18-year-old man do? What's the most rad way to spend a Saturday night? Whenever you are 17 years old, you are a child. You're a boy. You're a fetus. The moment you turn 18, I don't know why this guy still has a kite. Because that's not very manly behavior. Oh, I thought you were saying like, the moment you turn 18, you get your kite license. (laughs) Your kaisense. You can take that bad boy up to 60 MPH. Well, this guy's in Rio de Janeiro. I don't know what the rules and regulations are there. Um, he may be part of a street kite gang. This kite may be lined with a razor blade and he is slashing through other kites willy-nilly. Yeah, sometimes you could slap on a packet of methadrone to the kite, use it to fly it into prisons. <laughs> you know, kite kiting is, is a deadly, deadly oh, activity. Unbelievably obscure drug reference, but fine. Well, he's up on Vintem Hill, but the wind up huh. there just isn't strong enough. Okay, it needs to go higher. We're talking on top of the savior statue overlooking (laughs) Rio de Janeiro. We ventured higher up the hill to try and find a better spot. Hmm. Now, towards the top of the hill, he came across this tall patch of weeds. But they were disturbed like someone had walked through them. And that's when George noticed something lying in the bushes. Or someone. Oh. Hello? He cried out with no response. So he walked a little closer, making his way through the tall weeds, and that's when he saw them. Two lifeless bodies lying side by side on oh, the ground. Snap. That's not good. George screamed. Ah! He got tangled in his kite string, tripped over. <laughs> and suddenly there were three bodies on the <gasps> ground. The police show up and be like, Get the kite! Get the kite! 
they're like blowing holes in it and it's like trying to take off down the hill razor blade attached slices their guns in half whoa anime style yeah you hear a shing and then the gun just like slowly falls apart so he's called the police and he's waiting for them to arrive but while he's waiting he decides to get a little bit of a closer look what he doesn't realize is that he had just discovered one of the strangest and most bizarre crime scenes of all time really strong words the two men were dressed in identical raincoats okay. with matching business suits underneath. Okay. And over their eyes were solid lead masks. Wow. Because I was going to say, up until the coats and suits, it wasn't the weirdest murder case of all time or, yeah. or, or case. What did you say? Lead? Lead. It was just like, oh yeah, um, you know, it, it was crazy. They had a uh, raincoats on. They had yeah. business suits. There, you was, know, there was, was two of them. There was, was two of them. They were freaking dead. Yeah, uh, that's pretty crazy. Like, did I mention one of them was f- Iron Man? He had a full Iron Borderline face. Borderline Tony Stark himself. <laughs> yeah, it takes a big like chill, chill. Whoa. Yeah. Please describe what uh lead mask over your eyes looks like. So I have a picture of these lead masks. Oh Jesus! There we go. Is it like an eye mask? Wow. Okay, that's pretty much exactly what it sounds like, actually. Uh, so, if anyone's ever held lead, very heavy. It's quite, like, pliable. It's mm. quite bendy, but very heavy. This is lead sheet cut into the shape of an eye mask, essentially. It's quite crude, actually. It looks... It's very crude. It looks quite tough. Like, this isn't, like, one ply of lead. These look like mm-hmm. heavy, heavy slabs of lead sure. that have sort of been hammered into the shape of... They almost look like sunglasses. They do. They do look like sunglasses, yeah. Which I don't know what purpose these were meant to serve. And how would that even stay on your face? I have no idea. Again, one of the many questions that we're going to encounter in this story. Lead the way, brother. Unfortunately, the terrain surrounding the mountain was incredibly rough, meaning the police were unable to reach the bodies until the next day. Eventually, a small team of police and firefighters arrived to the scene to see exactly what George had described. Two bodies next to each other, rested on the ground, partly covered by grass. Each one wore a formal suit, a lead eye mask, and a waterproof coat. Just as he'd said. So what happened? Was it a murder? A suicide? The police searched the bodies, but the two men were unharmed physically. No cuts, no bruises, no blood, nothing. Wow. Just dead. Straight up dead. Hey, these days, whenever someone dies, everyone's like, oh, what happened? Everyone wants to know the reason. Everyone yeah. wants to know the cause. Mm-hmm. What caused it? Was it natural causes? And it's like, no, bitch. Sometimes people just straight up old-fashioned die. die. No good reason. They just drop dead. Listen, back in the day when people were working really hard, manual labor every single day, their whole lives, yeah, your body just gives in, doesn't it? It just says, nope. And the type of person that is likely to die at any given second is of course the type of person that's hammering sunglasses out of lead. Exactly. So the next thing the police did was search the scene for evidence. Mm-hmm. Of course, following protocol. <laughs> Very good police officers, yeah. these guys. Don't miss a beat. Apart from the whole waiting 24 hours to even look at the crime scene. Yeah, because it was a bit rocky. They're in the police station. They get the call comes in. It's like, oh, yeah, up the hill. Yeah, no, cool. And then like... Carlo comes in and he's like he's like winking to him he's like got the coffee got the donuts he's like it's getting really dark I don't think we'll be up there tonight to be honest with you George is like wait what are you talking about it's a, it's a, it's a forest path 
I took it up here. Most of it's downhill, weirdly. I'm, I'm doing a barefoot thing at the moment. It's not really going to work. I think it's best if we do it tomorrow when I am off for the weekend. So they searched for evidence, but what they found would only make the story even more bizarre. Of course. Beside the men, they found an empty water bottle, a packet containing two wet towels, and a small notebook. Still no smoking gun. The first page in the book had a list of electronic materials and spare parts. The second page had some sort of medication schedule written across it, mm. stating, quote, On Sunday, one tablet after the meal. Monday, one tablet in the morning on an empty stomach. Tuesday, one tablet after the meal. Wednesday, one tablet before going to bed. Mm. With no reference to what this tablet was. Yeah. But the third page, the third page kit, was by far the most cryptic and would baffle police and paranormal investigators to this very day. Not me, bro. I'm going to solve it right here, right now, in five seconds. You know what? I'm going to read it in its native language to start, so you should be able to crack it from that. Cool. Okay. Try me. It read, 4.30, estarno loco determinado. Um, yeah, estarno loco says crazy. Someone went crazy. Destinado here. So you say desperados? Someone went crazy after drinking a load of desperados. I think he got bottled. All right, well, what about this one? 6.30, engerir capsulas epos efito proteger metes e guardar. So I got, you said polo. Sin el mascara. That what? was the end of it. Uh, so, oh, mezcala at the end. So mezcala is yet more booze. Mascara. I think you said uh, <laughs> polios, uh, chicken. So <laughs> I said some sort of chicken apples. and booze party. And the shades? To look cool. Well, I'll tell you the exact translation. All oh, right? Sure. 4.30, be at the specified location. 6.30, ingest capsules after the effect Protect metals, await signal mask. Wow. So even in the native language, grammatically, it didn't really make any sense. Right. It's kind of shorthand. Yeah. Ingest capsules, comma, after the effect, protect metals, await signal mask. Yeah. Almost like it was scribbled in like a, yeah. like await signal mask, protect metals. It's a classic sort of case. I'm sure the police come across this kind of thing where... You're maybe going through a notebook and this notebook is never intended to be read by anyone other than the author. Yeah. You know, it's, you've drawn like little dicks in the, the columns. You've, you've pings. written about your crush. Yeah. You're like Claire, yeah. Claire, Claire. You've written Claire, Claire on the dicks. It's getting real weird up in there. Yeah. Uh, so you never wanted that to be read. Um, so it doesn't always make grammatical sense because it doesn't need to, as long as you remember the train of thought you had when you wrote it. Exactly. They'll get it. They'll understand that the dicks are just, they're, they're nothing to do with Claire. No, of it's course just, not. You're just, you know, just no, drawing not penises. disgusting. No, I'm not weird. If anything, that's normal. Move past it, officer. They like bring you in for an investigation. You think it's going to be about everything that you wrote in that book and you're like sweating buckets. And they're like, we just don't understand why you would write Claire on the penis. <laughs> and you're like, listen, sir, that's my private goddamn notebook. <laughs> I'm an artiste. It came from the heart. I didn't think about it too much. I am an educated, smart man. And I don't 
need to be demeaned like this? And they're like, uh, dear diary, today I shat myself. Those are private entries in my diary. That is an excerpt from a screenplay I am working on. I'll have you know, sir, because I'm very educated. I would never shite myself. So... The police and medical workers managed to eventually get the bodies off the mountain and over to the coroner's office for an autopsy. But when they arrived, police were told that the coroner was very busy. So busy, in fact, he wouldn't be able to see them for at least a day or two. Okay. Hmm. Believable. Uh, I think I have a little annotation here that says, Oh, bullshit! <laughs> a coroner being too busy to see dead bodies for two days? Um... There's something reeking here, Kit, and it ain't the corpses. Yes, this one is extremely unusual, but there's also murders happening kind of every day, especially in a country as populous as Brazil, a city as populous as Rio de Janeiro. So it's not that surprising that a regional coroner might be quite busy, but I know what you mean. Um, you would hope that they'd be able to see them within a day. But all those other people, you know, uh, boom, Charles comes in. He was blasted by a shotgun, obviously. There's a bullet in him. Uh, Here's Craig. The knife is still in his back. Knife wound. Uh, What about these two dudes? Uh, Well, the the sunglasses didn't kill him. Was it the towels? You know, there's there's nothing. They don't know anything. Okay, but why does it matter? Why can't we just leave this for a day or two? Are these bodies ain't going anywhere? I'll tell you why, Kit. Because by the time the bodies were examined, it was too late. No reliable test could be done because their organs had already started to I rot. Guess, I guess they might have been there for a bit too. You we never don't, know. We don't know. Whatever it was, by the time the coroner could see them, there was no way to test the bodies anymore for any sort of trace of what was in the quote-unquote tablet that they yeah, were taking. Right. Gotcha. Look, you know when a coroner is too busy? In a war. Yeah. That's when he's too busy, when people are dropping like flies. And you know what kind of war he's in? What kind the of war? war on drugs. Oh, what caused them? Drugs. Move on. All of them. Move past all of them to the guys with the, with the metal faces. That's not what the war on drugs means. All I'm saying, <laughs> all I'm saying is, you know, it's like heart transplants. In, in a line of, uh, let's say you've got like 100 people waiting for yep. a new heart. Yeah. There's a system in place. It's a businessman. And he's like, I'm first in line. I need a new heart. Mm-hmm. And they get the new heart. And they're like, okay, uh, Mr. Mr. Business, uh, James Business, we have your new heart here. We're ready to put it in your body. And then right before operation, 99 people down the line is like, <laughs> a little girl called Samantha. <laughs> Her parents were killed by heart thieves. Wow. Um, Jesus. And and if she doesn't get one, she'll die. And she has her whole life ahead of her. Yeah. <laughs> and she has so much to live for. But James Business is like, well, I'm first in line. What you do How is- many businesses have you started, little girl? <laughs> Please, sir. <laughs> Yelling hurts my heart. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> just one Fortune 500 business. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> His heart explodes. <laughs> She's one person closer to the front. (laughs) Just has to lie another 99 times. (laughs) The point is, you skip them and go to the person who needs it the most. These Uh, two dudes needed it the most. I don't think you're a medical professional, (laughs) sir. I don't think that's how it works. How dare you? I don't know if, like, as you're on the operating table, they can retract (laughs) the offer of a heart. 
Like you're under, they've sliced you up. They've taken your your, your your non-working heart out and then they've decided to just leave you there. Then Samantha walks in with her puppy dog eyes and they're like, oh, let's let's just give him Samantha's heart. Let's just chuck him in the bin, to be honest. (laughs) R.I.P. James Business. Well, you know, we can move past that one if you're not nibbling on that little bait hey, line. I'm just, as always, playing devil's advocate to try and bring some rationale to um, this week's investigation. But please, uh, forge ahead with the investigation. Okay, okay. Well, as the strange story began to spread around the town, it wasn't long before the two men were identified. Hmm. Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel Jose Viana, two electronic technicians from a town several kilometers to the northeast of Rio de Janeiro. So Hmm. quite far away. Both were married, technology enthusiasts with young families, and they were by all accounts close friends. Hmm. According to someone who knew them, the two had intentions of even starting their own business together. Okay, so guys with something to look forward to, families to take care of. Exactly. Guys who had a lot to lose. And no reason to lose it. So for the police to understand how this all happened, and for us to understand how this all happened, they needed to form a timeline of events leading up to their deaths. Right, good idea. So let's begin. On August 17th, three days before their deaths, Manuel and Miguel both told their relatives they needed to go on a trip to purchase some materials for work. The two men boarded a bus to Niteroy and arrived at their destination at 2.30. Once they arrived, evidence showed that here they purchased matching waterproof coats Hmm. and then went to buy a bottle of water from a nearby bar. I mean, are they expecting a downpour in Rio de Janeiro anytime soon? There's so many things that don't make sense. Why the raincoats? Why a So you're trying to keep the water off you, but you're also thirsty? This doesn't add up (laughs) at all. I love that this is the thing you're having problems with. Not the coroner refusing to see the bodies. You're like, wait one goddamn second. If you know that it's going to rain, simply (laughs) forgo buying a bottle of water and open your mouth and look up. If they insisted on being waterproof... Why must they buy a wa- a bottle of the liquid? <laughs> this is me in court trying to prosecute. <laughs> Wearing lead sunglasses. <laughs> the judge is like, you clearly barely have a grasp on the English language. You're trying so hard to be a good orator. This was in fact the same bottle that was discovered at the scene of the crime. Good to know. So, this bar was the first stop on the police's list. Hmm. They went to the bar to check it out, see if anyone had a lead, you know, detective style. You walk in, it's that tilted camera angle with the um, with the ceiling light, and it's like that jazzy music. Yeah, like the bar is pretty much empty. Yeah. There's just there's just a bar ten, just silently, just cleaning a, a glass. And that they've got that in, the interior monologue of a cop. It's like the, the questions race round my head, it's like bunnies on cocaine. So many questions left unanswered. So many answers left unquestioned. Like bunnies on cocaine, like bunnies. Why the lead glasses? Why the water? Why here? Why now? Why me? I'd come to the only place I could find the answers. The places I'd always look for answers. At the bottom of a goddamn whiskey glass. Love it! I want to watch this now. (laughs) So he goes up to a nearby waitress who's at the bar. Mm -hmm. Listen here, sweetheart. I need some answers to some stories. Maybe you got them, maybe you don't. What do you know about these two people? 
He shows him two pictures. One of Miguel. One of Manuel. Mm. And she goes... I mean, we're just butchering the accents here, but we'll just roll with it, guys. Yeah, I recognize this one. Miguel. He came in here to buy a bottle of water. Weirdly good memory. I guess this must have been quite recent. Or Miguel made some sort of lasting impression on her. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm Miguel. I've come to buy a (laughs) bottle of water. You better remember my face. (laughs) Better remember me. Well, apparently, the whole time Miguel was in the bar, he looked kind of shaken up, impatient, and he was standing in the corner, repeatedly checking his watch. He's thirsty as all hell. The police decide to tell her about what happened, about Mm -hmm. the masks, about the pills. At this point, the police stances, they're strongly convinced it was probably a suicide. Right. The way it was worded, the fact that there's no harm on the bodies... For sure. Talk of tablets and pills. But the waitress seems confused. She asks, But we make every customer pay for a deposit on a bottle of water. You can't get your money back until you return the bottle. So why would Miguel do this if he knew he wasn't coming back to return the bottle? Strange, isn't it? But I rest so, so, my so case. I'm sorry. No. So this Mr. President, place, you need to pay a deposit. That's right. So you pay a deposit to get a bottle of water. Yeah. You give them money and they're like, here you go. Here's your bottle of water. And then whenever you are done drinking the bottle, you return, you give the bottle back and, and get you, your money. You get your money back. Maybe it's a fancy bottle. Because why wouldn't you just like every other person in the entire world just pay for a bottle of water and you get to keep it? Right. It's it's bizarre. Also, the fact that he was checking his watch maybe was like, ah, like, it's now. We got to go. Like, we got to get up there. But also... So maybe he was like, oh, cr- crap, a bottle of water. And she's like, yeah, so we actually do a deposit system where we give us some money and then we have to return it. And he's like, oh, f- just give me the yeah i'll take it give me the bottle i'll pa- i'll give you the b- bottle back and you give me the money later and he like takes yeah. off but why would she think that he would care about getting the bottle back if he is indeed as the police think going to kill himself because that's his cold hard cash kit and which you can't as far as we are no take with you when you die i'm pretty sure ra would disagree he judges people on the wealth in their pockets when they die. Yeah, he eyes up their ass pocket to see how fat that wallet is. <laughs> Why do you think I carry around this golden Whoa! nugget? <laughs> Jesus, where did you get that thing? I think I could die any day now, so I carry around several golden nuggets on I my think person it's at all times. Honestly, killing you. Your back is all bent out of shape from carrying that thing around. It is br- dragging me to an early grave, that's for sure. But when I do die. You better bury me with my gold, because Ra's going to be pretty goddamn pleased when I show up there with trice the amount of nuggets any other mortal shows up with. Yeah, I actually heard you um, dictating your will the other day to a lawyer. It was incredibly mean. You said don't give anyone anything. You said those bastards, your own family, by the way, you said those bastards don't deserve a penny. Yeah, I said if there's one thing I do know, it's you can take it with you. And he was just shaking his head so disappointed but i was paying him a solid nugget yeah, to write it yeah so a little he nug. best write what i goddamn say every time he gave me a bit of lip i would shave off another part of the nugget like parmesan to be <laughs> yeah, honest he shaved it. it like cheese over pasta it just it just seems weird it feels like if you know you're yeah. not coming back yeah it's a little fishy 
why 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 weren't the bar yeah why go to that bar why as you say it could be because it's close but it's another layer in the mystery that doesn't quite add up and the story checked out too in miguel's pocket they found a receipt for the bottle of water that he was supposed to bring back in return after buying the water the police believe the two men went straight up the hill to their deaths wow so what can the police do the bodies can't be examined. No one seems to have any idea as to what these two men were planning or why they had these masks. Yeah. There are a couple ideas floating around the internet. Okay. And we can look at these in detail a little later on in the episode, but we should just discuss them now. Big ideas. Why would they do this? Yeah. Like, what are the police team thinking at this point? So, some people think that these men were simply depressed, going up on the hill, take a bad pill, suicide these things happen it does happen unfortunately but that doesn't explain all these little weird events leading up to the deaths it doesn't explain the lead maths it doesn't what do they need protected from after taking the pill and this is when explanations start to get really strange some people believe that these men were actually trying to make contact with aliens right by using some sort of psychedelic drugs and lead headgear Mm -hmm. to use their brainwaves to communicate with distant planets. Mm -hmm. Some people thought they were using the lead masks to actually try and protect themselves from something radioactive. Mm -hmm. Terrible idea. I mean, you would need like a lead suit. Yeah, like you're not going to just need your eyes where you're going. Yeah, like I know that's cool Mm. to just be like, future so bright. I have to wear shades and you put on you your like go on fire let, yeah. immediately. <laughs> the radioactivity just burns <laughs> the rest of your body off. What are your thoughts? It's definitely cool to get some outside perspectives on this. Uh, really, the case is still completely wide open at this point. Certainly, it seems to be revolving around this pill. What was it? Was it a deadly agent they knew was would cause death mm-hmm. and they either wanted to commit suicide or wanted to kind of heaven's gate cult style ascend to the next dimension of planet interplanetary intelligence by dying in a certain way um or was this pill like you say some sort of psychedelic drug gone wrong um it is possible that they tried to ingest something that they simply thought would have an effect as they mentioned in the notepad but maybe it went wrong in some way they got their dosages wrong they got some element of this act wrong i think the one thing that is weird about that is it does say on the third page of the notebook 430 be at the specified location yeah which is already weird because that is implies that someone has specified a location yeah it it would be unusual to pick a location yourself and then refer to it as specified location and so far away mm-hmm. so far away they they had to get a, a whole bus to this other location for sure and then 6.30, it does say, ingest capsules after the effect, protect metals, await signal mask. Now, that's quite cryptic, and it does say ingest capsules, but on the, the page before it, it's talking about tablets, which mm. is a different... It seems weird to change up the wording of what this thing is. Yeah, that's true. And it's also talking about taking it very frequently. Yeah. As we said, one tablet before the meal, one tablet in the morning on an empty stomach, one tablet after the meal. There's well, a lot of tablets being taken. I mean, I guess we can assume that that's no suicide pill if they're taking it every day. Yeah, exactly. It's strange. There's a lot of very strange things that 
we just don't have any answers to. Well, the next answers to this case wouldn't come until several days later when a man named Signor de Souza arrived at the police station. He asked to see the officers in charge of the lead mask case right. and they quickly pointed him in the right direction. Once sat down, they asked Senor de Souza, what seems to be the problem? He replied, my wife doesn't know I'm here because she hasn't heard about what happened up on that hill yet. But I knew I had to come here. You see, my wife told me a few days ago she was driving home with the kids, right by Vintem Hill, when in the sky she spotted a UFO. <gasps> Something's going on, Kit. Bro. She spotted something in the sky the exact same night the two guys went up that hill to do whatever the hell they were doing up that hill with those lead masks. That's a weird coincidence, at the very least. But what exactly did she see that night? We're going to find out on next week's episode! Oh, oh! That's right, guys. There is so much weird stuff that is about to happen in this case. I thought the only way to really do it justice is to break it down into a big old juicy two-parter. We need to find out why the raincoats? What's up with these lead masks? What did they see that night? Does it have any relation to what is going on with these two men? <sighs> I'm getting. You're, you're getting way too excited. And, and what about for the, someone who's investigated presumably uh, the whole story at this point? You're, you seem really surprised. No, I haven't even. I don't even know what's going to happen. Okay, so how do you know it's a two part? Like, how do you wrote, know the story? It doesn't could end. end right it now. could end in like a second. Okay, oh, bad ad. Okay, it's so hot. And the, and the water bottle. What okay. about that, Kit? I need a dollar for uh, a glass of water. So please, everyone, stay tuned for next week where we will be delivering I assume a very satisfactory conclusion <laughs> that will tie this up in a neat little package presumably it'll be the most definitive yes in the history of the podcast yes yeah, it I'll say yes right now yeah so thank you very much for listening to that very special episode of This Paranormal Life. As always, usually we don't do Patreon shoutouts at the end of a two-parter episode, but instead we thought we would give you guys a little taste of one of our bonus Patreon episodes. That's right, this month our Patreon bonus episode was investigating the UFOs that were spotted off the coast of Ireland. An extremely recent and exclusive case coverage. Exactly. So, just to give you guys a little taste on what you can get by sending up to the Patreon, here's a little preview of that episode right now. Next thing, I remember floating into another bigger chamber with a, with a uh, 360 degree viewing deck. <laughs> it was then I saw the extraterrestrial. Mm. I couldn't tell how big he was or even if he had arms or legs. All I remember is his big cone head. Is <laughs> his big cone head. The big baldy bastard himself. <laughs> and his beautiful ginormous eyes. Really? He spoke to me through telepathy and said, You are not terrified like the others. No, I am not. Should I be? Jerry said. Jerry said. <laughs> Sorry, this is Liam Neeson. Apparently, in the blink of an eye, they were transported to the North Pole. Of course. Which Jerry said was like driving through a snowstorm at 500 miles an hour. Wow. They chatted for a while, but before Jerry left, the alien had one thing to say. Mostly small talk. Go on. He said, Mankind has come a long way, but its time is running out. In 850 years, a giant asteroid... The size of Munster 
is going to obliterate you. I love the way this this alien is slowly getting an Irish accent as well. It's slowly going to obliterate your planet. That's probably how he heard it as well, to be honest. The asteroid will approach your planet from the 35th quadrant, the alien said. Oh my god. Maybe it's that. It's like, you know, they want to uh, appear comforting. So he's actually this, like, beautiful <laughs> uh, divine creature. Cone-headed creature, uh-huh. But obviously to get on Jerry's level, right. he's like, How's it going, Jerry? You know, like trying to... <laughs> Yeah, he's be compatible. <laughs> a a meteor will come from the thirty fifth quadrant. Where? Monster Jerry. Monster. <laughs> oh right. We are four million light years more advanced than you are. We have been observing you f- for millennia. In all that time, you've only excelled at two things: global warfare and lying to your own species. <laughs> at this point, it's more of like this is. <laughs> Just a razzing. J- this is a space razzing. Jerry got drunk off his ass, got home, and his wife started <laughs> roasting him. And he, this is what he remembers from this his definitely it. boozed up vision. He had a rolling pin. He tried to put me to bed. I am 35 million years more advanced than you, Jerry. In our entire marriage, you've only you've only mastered being a bastard and being a lying bastard. He's like, get away, you crazy space beast, you beautiful cone-headed. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that preview of the episode. As always, we will see you next Tuesday when we conclude all of these many questions and find all of those many answers. Until then, folks, always remember to live fast, investigate, investigate and, and die young, baby! <laughs> <laughs>